Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. You heard the man. Everybody get in line for that soul vaccination. Uh, do do get your vaccination, by the way. <laughs> I have many things to say today. We have many calls. We will have many calls. We have two right now. That's sort of many. I want to just observe that all the, of all the members of the spam family, including, you know, patient spam, prudence spam, Henrietta spam, Sojourner spam. Potential spam makes the most phone calls. At least to my phone. All right. So uh, we're back from the holidays, sort of, but we're also sort of in the middle. We're sort of in the perineum, as we call it, of the holidays. Uh, And I just have to say that uh, if I were tested today in an extensive medical lab panel, I would be informed that I was roughly 18% cookie. Like I'm, you know, 18% of me is basically a cookie at this point. And that's not good. I, I got to change. I got to change and I will change. All right. So a couple of other things. We'll go right to the phone calls. We've got two very interesting calls here on the board. The number to call is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. Should our spirits flag for any reason, I have here... And I'll hold them up to the microphone so you can see that. And this is really true. I would not I would not lie to you. There's a number of things that I would lie to you about. I would not lie to you about this um, because it's like more fun this way anyway. So Mr. Carp, arguably the smartest person I know, uh, has sent me – I have two sealed envelopes from Mr. Carp. And they contain clippings, heavily underlined clippings, enigmatically heavily under, underlined clippings. And so should our spirits flag, should the phone call stop coming, I will – actually, the way that it works, you know, the, the rule is – I almost forget the rule. The rule is somebody has to call up and ask for me to open one of the envelopes. And then I will open one of the envelopes. And then that person who called has to be willing to have a conversation with me about something that's in the envelope. But at this moment, neither one of us would know what that something is. All right. I think I've – I can stop shaking the envelopes next to the microphone. Um, all right. So um, where was I? <laughs> Let's just go to the phone. Let's go to the phones. Uh, we're going to start with Say in Norwich. Uh, Say, you are on the air. 
Thank you, Colin. I'm a great fan. You are a great fan. I agree. Of you. Oh, okay. Uh, So what's on your mind, Say? I was wondering, given the two-year reign of the the pestilence, which horsemen of the apocalypse do you predict will will be visiting us in the coming year? All right, just to refresh people's memories, there are four horsemen of the apocalypse. They are war, pestilence, famine, and Marty. People often don't talk that much about Marty, but uh, and I don't think Marty is going to be the horseman. No, I think it's war, actually. I mean, uh, to be serious for a moment, um, I, I think w- with tensions ra- ramping up with Iran, uh, with uh, tensions ramping up between uh, Russia and Ukraine, uh, and with um, tensions soon to ramp up, if they're not already, already ramped up, with China and Taiwan, specifically the idea that China— probably will at some point attempt to invade Taiwan. I think, you know, if I had to bet on a horseman, I don't even know if those are the horsemen. But um, I think war. I think I, I think this year, I hate to say it, but yeah, we're pretty much, we've had all the pestilence that we really want uh, and uh, can handle, and it's got to wane at some point. Uh, so yeah, I think it's going to be war. Uh, and I, I hope that our diplomats uh, and the, the world's diplomats are skilled enough to head off a few of those crises, but there's almost too many of them for all of them to go away. Um, so I wish I had a jauntier answer, say, but that would be the answer. Well, well, in um, Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman's Good Omens, they have a long discussion about how the fourth horseman can be death, given that all of the others are really part of death, and, and death says, well, I'm different. But uh, I think that, um, unfortunately... You might be right. Yeah. Well, it's far be it for me to go against Neil Gaiman. You never win any money doing that. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for your call, Say. That was great. Great way to begin. A little depressing, but, you know, we're not afraid to be depressing. Uh, here's Michael from Bristol. By the way, the number, 888-720-9677. Hi, Michael. Good afternoon, Colin. I really enjoy watching all of you, listening to all of your shows. <laughs> um, I'm not going to repeat the previous call and saying I'm a big fan, but I am. All right. Well, I'll take your word for it. I'm I'm going to uh, kind of touch base with uh, something that the previous caller mentioned, and that's pestilence. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the pestilence that I'm talking about is relatively new for the state of Connecticut, and what it is is these billion dollar sports betting corporations that are just trying to, you know, get in everybody's head. Yes. It's not just in Connecticut, but it's pretty new to us. Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, I'm with you. Uh, They're not just trying to get in everybody's head, although they are definitely doing that. But yes, I mean, maybe by getting in everybody's head, you're talking about almost kind of transforming our understanding of what it means to watch, enjoy, and think about sports. Um, Now, let me just take you back in time several decades, literally several decades, taking back in time to the days in which uh, when uh, one of the major football uh, uh, broadcasts was anchored by Pat Summerall doing play-by-play and John Madden doing color. And it was the end of a game. Uh, it was a Dallas game. I can't remember who they were playing. And Dallas now had a sufficient lead so that it was 
unlikely that they could possibly lose the game. And John Madden, who was like in some ways kind of a a refreshingly innocent person, uh, was noticing that the Dallas fans were cheering, you know, cheering rabidly in a situation where there's kind of nothing on the line. The game could really be allowed to kind of peter itself out. Uh, And he said, boy, these... These Dallas fans, they really like, they must really want to see one more touchdown. They must want to see Staubach, or whoever it was, Craig Morton, I don't know, uh, throw for one more touchdown. That's because they like their team so much. And there's this little silence in the booth. And finally, Pat Summerall said, John, uh, I believe that some of these fans may have placed a wager on today's game that involved a spread. And Madden then laughed and said, see, I'm, I, I am innocent. I just don't even think about stuff like that. So, I mean, this has been with us for a while. But... The way it's with us now, I would agree, is different. And I will say that in some ways, the beginning of it was, or at least a compliment to it, another horseman, so to speak, uh, would be um, fantasy leagues. So what happened with fantasy leagues was that people stopped caring quite as much about the teams and more about the players. Uh, And if you were unfortunate enough to be in a sports bar uh, with a bunch of guys who had fantasy bets down, and had had a bunch of beers, they'd be like screaming their heads off about games they didn't even really care about because there was somebody uh, on the field that they needed to have do something. Um, so, <laughs> um, so we start there where, you know, in some ways, some of the basic bonds that were assumed uh, about sports begin to fray a little bit. But yeah, now with the introduction of sports betting and particularly of prop bets and stuff like that, you have like that whole phenomenon with prop bets. You have you know, and, and parlays and stuff like that, you you have those bonds loosening even more. It's harder and harder, you know, to resist the temptation to game everything as opposed to watch, enjoy, root, appreciate. Everything is kind of run through uh, the, the, the prism uh, of sports betting. And, and yeah, I mean, also, if you're interested at all in sports – which I am. I'm, I enjoy the sports thing, the, the kicking and the throwing uh, I, uh, and the, uh, the running, uh, tackling. I like the sports thing. Uh, if you have social media, it's like weird. I mean, there's those DraftKings ads. They just start to just populate inside your Twitter feeds and stuff. It's like just, it is a kind of pollution. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, I'm laughing because of what I want to see up on the call board right now. So anyway, yes, I agree. Uh, I, that is, it is a pestilence. I think it's a pestilence that unfortunately is here to stay. I think people who are just sort of coming, younger people are coming online right now, so to speak, as sports fans are going to experience sports in a different way than perhaps you and I did, you know, growing up and just rooting for the Red Sox or whatever. Um, okay, so... Um, <laughs> well, they're both very tempting, the two calls I can choose from right now. One of them says, has a story. Well, you know, the other one of them says, just take this call. But so, but I, I'm going to, that's David and Colbrook. I'm going to take Fran first, and then I will just take David's, just take this call. Uh, all right. Here's Fran in Hamden. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. I just want to tell you that you and your show is the reason why I donate to. CPTV, uh, cp.org, uh, because I love your show. Oh, thank you so I much. I wanted to tell you about your onion comment about putting eating onions and then putting a Canaan N95 mask on. It's wor- There's a worse thing, mm-hmm. okay, is if you are going to pop a couple of mints into your mouth before you go into your doctor's office, 
because when you go in there, they ask you, are you sick? Do you have any symptoms? And your eyes are watering and your nose is starting to run. And it was, I really had a hard time convincing the receptionist that I was not sick because I popped a couple of Mentos in my mouth under my mask. So I just thought you would enjoy that. Well, it's better than, what is the, what is the thing, Pants will know this, what is the thing that you're not supposed to put Mentos into and then it like sprays, is it like Sprite or something? There's something. Coca-Cola, I think. Oh, okay. Coke, Coke, it's Coke, okay. So, yeah. so don't do that. Yeah, that would be worse. Yeah. Okay, now Fran, <laughs> not to tease apart the foliage of your life and, and peer more closely at you, but did you feel as though you needed to have like minty breath to go see your doctor? Well, see, here's the thing. That's the pre-COVID <laughs> thing, okay? Yeah. Because I never took my mask off. Yeah. I could have even not brushed my teeth and it wouldn't have mattered, you know? Well, it's not get carried away here. But, um, <laughs> but like, typically typically when you see your doctor, when you go to see your doctor over the years, you like to have minty fresh breath for your doctor? Oh, oh sure. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, you're talking to them. And, yeah, I mean, well, I carry Mentos in my car and, you know. So I pop them in anytime I'm in public talking to people, but it doesn't really matter so much. It's just a, a pre-COVID uh, habit now, right? Except, except that I have to be aware of the fact that, you know, I'm going to look like I'm crying when I walk in somewhere. I, I, I think it's, uh, and I'm being told it's Diet Coke. So, you know, another reason to keep them in your car, you run out of gas, you put some Mentos in a, some Diet Coke, and you've got a limited amount of propulsion that could like get you to the gas station. Uh, although we don't necessarily <laughs> oh, recommend I trying that. But but um, <laughs> yeah, I just sort of feel like we're always trying to fool our doctor about something. I mean, like House House comma MD that House, he would want to know how your he would want to know how your breath really smells because it might have some clue, right? <laughs> yeah, and I can only imagine what he would diagnose if he if he smelled. Mentos on your breath. Right, he'd say something very mean. I know he'd say something very mean. Uh, oh, totally. Because he always does. Totally. But yeah, so like, you know, we're going to fool our doctors. My mother used to try to get her blood pressure down before she went to see the doctor. <laughs> Thinking, no, the doctor should know what your actual blood pressure is. Um, my mother also, and this is something I've inhabited, I've inherited. Uh, my mother, who for a while was a medical secretary, she worked for a neurologist, she would practice the serial sevens which is 193, 86, 79, 72, 65, 58, 51, 44, 37. And as my father used to say, her goal is to have Alzheimer's disease and have nobody know it because she, like, she knew how the mental status exams go. You, as you can see from what I just did, <laughs> after years of making fun of her and shaking my head, I think I've done the same thing. Like I think I know the serial sevens. So well that if I'm ever beginning to seem incapacitated, I mean, even more so than I do today, have me do serial eights or nines or something. The nines, I think, are too easy, though. Maybe eights. Uh, and I'll try not to practice them. All right. So, but we're always trying to fool our doctor. We don't want our doctor to know, you know, or, or like I'm because I'm 18% cookie right now. Like if I see my doctor, I've got to like lose a lot of weight before I see my doctor. I can't possibly let my doctor know that I'm I've turned into a cookie. Uh, all right, here we go. Here's David. By the way, after David, well, I don't know what will happen after David, but our number is 888-720-WNPR. And if I haven't spelled out the rules yet, you, you can bring up, as has been illustrated here, you can bring up any topic you want. I mean, I have a bunch of topics that I might be interested in talking about. I really want to talk about the Pope. I feel like the Pope just really, Pope Francis, that Pope, <laughs> not the other Popes. <laughs> 
Pope Francis, I feel like he really moved the goalpost over the weekend. I mean, like big time. I'm amazed this isn't getting more headlines, but I'll tell you what I mean in a second. And meanwhile, this, um, here's David. All it says on my board, David Colebrook, just take this call. All right, David, what is it? Uh, hi, hi, Colin. Uh, hi. Nice to speak with you, and I agree with your last caller. Uh, I really love your show and just love your thoughtfulness, so thank you. <laughs> um, I guess your producer wants you to open the, one of the envelopes as much as I do. All right. Here we go. Uh, you can have the. We can pick the envelope with the Sally Ride stamp, or the one with the Hanukkah stamp. Hmm. What do you think? Uh, let's do the. Uh, let's do the Hanukkah stamp. Hanukkah stamp. All right, here it is. All right, boy, he just. You know what he does is, and I just want to say, Mr. Carp has done very, very well for himself in life. Like very, very well for himself in life. But he repurposes envelopes, maybe for ecological reasons. So, like, every envelope I ever get from him is, like, some envelope that came for some other purpose. And then he has to, like, tape them up in all kinds of heavy ways to make them work. Okay, so there's, like, a lot of clips here. And I'm just – that one looks – I haven't looked at any of them. Let's – okay, this looks like something. In the Civil War graveyard, every headstone tells a story. I don't think we want to talk about that. Uh, I got a lot of choices here. We'll come to one that you and I can, uh, can easily and fluidly discuss. Because there's a lot of them. Okay. Mainlining raw realism. Uh, 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 I'm just I'm just glancing. Is this about? I think it's about William Friedkin. Yeah, it is. Okay, I could talk about this. I'm not sure that it's on your wheelhouse, but so it's actually a reappreciation of the friend the movie The French Connection, and it gets into some detail about. Um, uh, about William Friedkin as a director. And of course, this is with Gene Hackman as Popeye, Popeye Doyle and Roy Scheider as the person who isn't Popeye Doyle. And, um, oh, I'll just say this. Um, I like William Friedkin uh, as a director and I met William Friedkin. I was just explaining this to my friend David Fector the other day who works in movies, particularly in the sound area. And so I, um, I met William Friedkin. This is many years ago. And... Um, and I think I came up to him after a speech and we were just sort of talking. I said, you know, I really think you sound really well in your movies. If you think about those really, really big Friedkin movies uh, like French Connection and The Exorcist and The Live and Die in L.A. and Sorcerer, and, uh, you know, the sound in him is really, really great, I think. Like, like that. He would do a really good job with that noise that you just made. So um, I said to him, what I want to know is the, when Linda Blair's head – spins around 360 degrees in The Exorcist. What's that sound? How did you get that noise? And he looked, he gave me this sly smile and he said, he, he said, he reached into his pocket and he said, and he pulled out this very soft looking leather wallet. And he said, that noise is this wallet held up to a high sensitivity mic and, and, and then having this done. And he took the wallet by its ends and he began to twist it. Uh, and it being sort of this kind of soft lever, leather, it made this kind of creaking, clicking sound that just is clearly the sound of Linda Blair's neck uh, uh, turning around in The Exorcist. So I don't know. That's, that's, that's what I got out of the second clip I pulled out of the Mr. Carp envelope. I don't know. Hey, do you have anything you'd like to say about all that? Uh, no, I, no, thank you. Uh, it just it reminds me of there was a I think it was. A film about the making of the War of the Worlds. Did you ever see that? I don't think and so. And they showed how they made the sound effects in that movie. And so when you were talking about the the wallet and the Exorcist, yeah. it reminded me of that. Yes, it's always interesting to okay, know these we'll things. Take a, 
Yeah, go ahead. It's wonderful. Like they would take a, they took a jar and they would, uh, they unscrewed uh, a, like a ball jar, a, a mason jar, and they unscrewed the lid of the jar inside a toilet bowl to get an effect, I think, of uh, one of the doors of one of the spaceships opening or something. Uh, fascinating. Love it. Yeah. So um, two interesting things about that. First of all, Pants, what is the name of the movie that's about the making of Galaxy Quest? Because that's a terrific movie. There's a documentary that's about the making of the movie Galaxy Quest. And if you like the movie Galaxy Quest, you have to watch it. And and one of the things that it makes clear is how much serendipity is involved in a movie coming together. Like they didn't – Tim Allen was like nowhere on their list of choices to, to play that role. I mean just all kinds of things. It's called Never Surrender a Galaxy Quest. Um, I was thinking about it too because the leader of the whatever they are, the alien species – He's in uh, – that actor, he's in uh, Station Eleven. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's a great movie because even if you don't care that much about Galaxy Quest, it shows you how many things have to kind of randomly click into place. Some things need to go wrong for everything to go right because you have to be deprived right. of choices that you would have made and stuff like that. So I forget what the other thing was I was going to say, but <laughs> that will have to do for now. <laughs> oh, I know what it was. Um I, I I want to say one more thing about The Exorcist, and I've said this many times before, but I see The Exorcist as a as a turning moment in American culture, in the sense that um, uh, in the '60s, maybe early '70s, Philip Reif wrote this book called The Triumph of the Ther- Therapeutic, and his argument it was the fundamentally uh, culturally conservative argument was that therapeutic culture had replaced religious culture. Uh, that in some ways, everything that had been answered on a religious basis for decades and decades and decades in American life was now being answered on a much more therapeutic or Freudian kind of basis that we we supplanted uh, our our theological deist religions uh, with a secular religion of therapy. And what's interesting about The Exorcist is it is clearly a rebellion against that. I mean, if you think about The Exorcist, what's happening at the beginning? Ellen Burstyn's kid is being really weird and saying weird stuff and peeing on the floor and all this kind of stuff. And so if you knew some mom who had a kid like that, you'd be saying, get her into, uh, get her into therapy, find a good psychiatrist, find a good neurologist, uh, find, get some help. And we watch her do all those things up to and including a spinal tap. And we're all sitting there in the audience or on our couch and we're going, are you nuts? She doesn't need that. She needs an exorcist. What's wrong with you? Don't get her a psychiatrist. She needs a priest. So it was kind of like. I think that's what made the. I think that's what made the the movie so frightening as well was because there were these therapies or or starting to become these therapies available and they weren't working for this person. Right. No, David, totally. It was an exorcist. Totally, David. In fact, I've always maintained that when the priests get there, when Marin and Karis get there, you can see I've watched this movie way too many times, but <laughs> when fathers Marin and Karis, when they get there, I think the movie gets way less scary. It's like, you know, these people, this is what they, everything that you're saying is true, that Ellen Burstyn does not know how to cope with this situation because she doesn't know what the situation is. And she's just a single mom and she doesn't know what to do. And it's getting worse and worse. And it gets scarier and scarier every time she has to open that door and go in that room. And then the priests show up, and it's like the Notre Dame football team or something. I'm not saying that they're not in danger. We know if we watch that movie, they're in tremendous danger. But this is what they signed up to do. They're SEAL Team 6, uh, you know. Um, so so I, I'm not worried anymore because they, you know, I mean, they, at least they know what they're supposed to do anyway. All right. We have to take a break. When we come back, I can build on that 
to talk about uh, Pope Francis and what he has done and what it might mean. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. I like that song partly because the title is Woo. That's the title of the song is Woo by Remy Wolf. All right. So we're back. And it's one of those days where we take the calls. We have the people with the calling. Oh, there was somebody who had a really good thing in, up on the board and they just, they went, they went away. Come back. Come back person who had an interesting thing. 888. Oh, was it, it was the person who was Joe, right? Who wanted us to, <laughs> wanted us to have an intelligent, an hour of intelligent conversation once a month, which made me feel bad. Like we're not doing that now. We're not even getting, hitting once a month of intelligent conversation. Oh no. Oh no. But Joe, call back. 888-720-WNPR or 888-720-9677. Can I, before I get to Chris in Weathersfield, and I will, uh, let me just, I just wanted to mention this thing because I'm a, it's sort of interesting to me anyway that um, the Pope, this would be Pope Francis, uh, over the weekend. No, I guess it was. A, I guess it was more a little bit further back. It wasn't over the weekend. I take it back. But um, he was on a plane, on the papal plane, uh, and he was discussing that he accepted. He had accepted the resignation of a Paris Archbishop, Michel Aupetit. <laughs> These. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds kind of like a made-up name, but I, I guess it's not. Michel Opetit, uh, not because he had sinned, but because the gossip about him had left uh, Michel, uh, Archbishop Michel Opetit uh, in a position where he could no longer govern the diocese. But he went on to say, and this is where I feel like the goalposts the goalpost have really been moved here. He said that 
um, sins of the flesh were certainly sins, but not as great as such sins as hatred and pride um, uh, and and maybe even sort of social injustice. And that. But hatred and pride. He definitely said hat- hatred and pride. Much worse sins. Like the whole seven deadly sins thing, it's, you know, the power rankings apparently are being changed. And I'm with him. I think hatred and pride are way worse than sins of the flesh. I mean, depending what the sin, sin of the flesh is. But, you know, in general, I mean, it's sort of interesting. It's like we've often, we, these are sometimes referred to as pelvic issues, you know. And so the Pope, is, he's been hinting at this for a long time. But um, he went on to say uh, that the archbishop had asked for forgiveness over a relationship with a woman. He was a 70-year-old cleric. He was bound by, obviously by, uh, by the church's celibacy rule. Uh, and uh, the Pope said it was a failing against the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery, but not a total one, one of, sm- <laughs> one of small caresses, massage given to his secretary. That is what the accusation is. There is a sin there, but not the worst kind. Um, and I just sort of feel like, well, you know, um, good, I think. I mean, I, we don't want everybody going nuts, but or maybe we do. Uh, but it, it does seem as though he's got his priorities right. And, and, and I don't think he can take Catholicism with him on this. I think there are just way too many people who are, you know, who are, they're almost in it for the pelvic stuff. But it's exciting to see something like that. And I'm amazed this did not get more, you know, more coverage. Coverage is the word I was looking for. All right. I'm sorry. I'm juggling a number of different things at the same time. All right. You can ask or tell me anything. By the way, I have a whole second Mr. Carp envelope here if I need it. Uh, But in order to open that envelope, once again, I need a phone call to tell me to open the envelope. That's how it works. Uh, 888-720-WNPR. You may bring up anything you want. 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. Before we go to Chris we're going to do. I want to say what's happening. If you're listening here on Monday and from between between the hours of 1 and 2, by the way, that's the only way you can call up. You can't call up in the future. I won't be able to hear you. Um, but we are going to rerun a show that we did uh, tomorrow uh, on Tuesday about uh, Lord of the Rings. The 20th anniversary of the first movie was this month right here. Uh, and Wednesday, we're working on a show about theft by one of our outstanding interns. Uh, and then on Thursday, we've already got this one recorded. It's the best jazz of 2021. It's a good show. You're going to hear some great music. And then on Friday, it'll be the year-end uh, edition of The Nose. We're trying to figure out how to do this. We're going to have like about 82 of our Nose panelists on all talking at the same time. That's the plan right now. We might, we might, you know, tinker with that a little bit. All right. Here we go. Here's Chris in Weathersfield. Here's Chris in Weathersfield. You're on the air. Hi. I just uh, wanted to uh, put this into context. Um, I'm going through uh, estate planning, you know, life decisions at, at the end of life. And I was listening to uh, your station uh, at 10 and 11. And at 10, they had uh, something with polygenic uh, risk scores uh, with a book about the uh, genetic lottery for egalitarian society, somehow we can, you know, with a spit in the tube, see if there are any genetic causes for social behavior. 
And then in the next uh, hour, we were, uh, it was a talk about all these choices for death, cremation, burial, aqua burial, um, compost, alkaline hydrolysis. And, um, you know, I'm trying to understand this. You know, I believe in science, you know, big thing. Love technical uh, technology advances. Love green solutions. Uh, like to be on the right side, both in life and at the at the end. But I'm seeing something that kind of makes me, you know, creepy. Feel creepy. I see capitalism um, running into these things. You know, there's a cost for it, and these choices will obviously have to be legislated and you see government coming into it in democracy and i really don't know what to make of it well let let me just sort of jump in uh and say first of all you know i mean capitalism has always been into all of this i mean i don't know so much about the spit in the tube stuff i was listening to magna talk about that but i was doing other stuff too so i didn't really absorb it very well but um you know in terms i mean you go back to jessica midford's book the american way of death which was written what probably in the 60s early 70s or the latest you know i mean you can sort of see that de- death and what to do with a body after death it had become, you know, a massive capitalist activity driven often more by decisions about profit than about by reason or choice. So, I mean, you know, everything old is new again. I mean, I'm sure they'll find if, – if, if one thing you didn't mention, which is my personal selection, if, you know, if – I don't think it's legal right now. It's called sky burial. Did they mention sky burial? No. Okay. It's a funeral practice in which a human corpse is placed on a mountaintop to decompose while exposed to the elements or to be eaten by scavenging animals, especially carrion birds. That's what I want. I want to be left on a mountaintop. I mean, after I'm dead. (laughs) Don't rush this process. But after I'm dead, put me on a mountaintop and let birds eat me. That would make me you know, retrospectively very happy or, or or prospectively very happy. But anyway, good luck with all that. And if you're planning your estate, think about becoming a trust. Um, I, I mean that somewhat seriously. Uh, all right, here we go. Here's Leia, uh, who is in West Harbor. Leia, you have the floor. Hi, how's it going? I had a quick question for you. And so assume that there's a right answer to this question, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, which one would be more useful, the ability to teleport or the ability to stop and start time on command? The latter. Um, the latter? I think the latter, yes. Um, first of all, uh, let, me, let me tell you my reasoning. and I would be interested to hear your reasoning too. But my reasoning is that um, teleportation, although it's very, very interesting, and it depends on also where you can teleport to. Can you teleport off this earth to some other place? You know, or up to up to the you know, Starship Enterprise. Uh, but if we're just talking about teleporting around Earth, that's essentially, you know, uh, an enhancement of an existing ability. We have the ability to move around in space. You know, in in physical space, we can move around in in three dimensions, uh, but we can move around in four dimensions. So, to me, the ability to stop and start time. Um, would be, uh, you know, not the enhancement of an existing ability, but a brand new thing. And our ability to, to our, the you know, possibilities of changing things, fixing things, doing better things, enjoying ourselves. I'm much more intrigued by the ability to start and stop time. Which one would you have chosen? 
You know, you make it sound very simple, but I'm pretty much in agreement with you until, you see, as this tells you how interesting my life is, I'm, I'm a new law student, and I just figured that the ladder would help me get a bunch of homework done. But someone pointed out that there's a uh, Twilight Zone episode where someone gets this ability, and the stopwatch that they use to start and stop time falls down and breaks. So they're trapped in limbo. Ooh. That seems like a very cool twist. Well, there's also a Nicholson Baker novel about this. I forget what it's called. Pants will figure it out. But it's because I remember in it, he, he can stop and start time. The narrator can stop and tar- start time. And his name for this, uh, for what he can do, is called the Sejura, which is, you know, uh, I mean, C-A-E-S-U-R-A. I think that's how you spell it. So it's it's like a musical term. Uh, he, he can actually, it's called the Fermata. For the Fermata is the name Fermata. of the Fermata. That's the name of the book. But I think the thing where he stops time, he calls it the Sejura. I could be wrong about that. Anyway, um, so if you're thinking about that, you probably don't have any time to read any books for fun because you're a law student. <laughs> uh, in fact, you probably won't be having any fun at all. <laughs> but, you know, if Sounds you had right. it's Nichols and Baker's books tend to be really short, so that's the good news. So, yeah, I no, I think, you know, really if you could start and stop time, there's, you know, any number of things advantages that might might come out of that. But it's an it's one of the best questions ever asked on the Ask or Tell Me Anything show. We need more questions of this kind. So thank you, Leah, for that. <sighs> what should we do? I think I should take this call, and then we'll go to a break. Boy, this show is just flying by. Uh, all right, here's Sandy in Hamden. Hi, Sandy. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. So um, thank you for letting me air my complaint, yep. which has to do with the fracturing of t- uh, access to television programs. Um, if you want to watch Succession, you have to subscribe to HBO. If you want to watch Ted Lasso, you have to have Apple Plus and yada, yada, yada. And I think that whole paradigm is anti-consumer because you're being forced to subscribe to this platform for maybe the one thing that you want to watch. And it's got to cost like a million dollars to subscribe to everything I'd be interested in. And I, mean, I thought there was some law, like at the supermarket, if you only want one stick of butter... You don't have to buy the whole pound. You pull out the stick and you bring it and you pay for the one stick. And why can't we have that with our entertainment platforms? You can do that with butter? Really? Yeah, I also heard you're you the, do it with eggs. You're the, per, you're the, you would just take a couple of eggs? That can't be right. That, you can't do that with eggs. And you're the person up ahead in line. You're like holding up the line because you're trying to just buy one stick of butter. And the clerk's going, I don't, I don't know if you can do that. Maybe you can't do it with eggs. <laughs> you don't have to buy the whole shebang. Right. All right. Well, so but your initial complaint is a very valid one, and I think we're all struggling with this. And, you know, as it, we get towards the end of the year here, you know, one of the things that people like me are trying to do is catch up on movies. I mean, one thing – I'll just sort of add to this that I've never seen a year where not only is culture consumption and culture delivery – fragmented and balkanized in the way that you just described, but I think in a way that's not completely separate, um, you know, what we under- what is commonly understood as necessary, vital, important, must-see, must-have culture is also fragmenting and fracturing. I mean, for example, you know, I was looking at A.O. Scott's list of the 10 best movies of 2021, and, and A.O. Scott, who's been on the show, um, 
you know, he used to come on much more regularly. We probably forgot to ask him to keep coming on. But anyway, you know, he's, I considered him, he's the New York Times, one of the New York Times' two chief movie critics. Uh, and I considered him to be a pretty mainstream guy. Uh, I mean, you know, not ridiculously mainstream. But anyway, all I'm saying is I didn't recognize the titles of about half the movies. Not, not only hadn't I not seen them, I didn't know what they were. And that's the New York – that's not some, you know, it's not Richard Brody or something. You know, this is like, you know, A.O. Scott. So I think that's all happening and I, I, I feel your pain and I feel your pocketbook pain. And, um, and, and yeah, for example, um, the woman I live with who was in the hospital for a long time and didn't see a lot of things, I've been trying to help her catch up on stuff. And I'm acutely – like I thought, well, you need to see A Summer of Soul – and then I thought, and that's on Netflix. Well, I know it's on Hulu, and so and it's just like everything's like that. So yeah, no, it's it, now one thing that you can do. You have to be the kind of person who can do this effectively. You have to set up a system in, where you won't get beat on this, uh, Sandy. Is you can do the trial thing, right? You can sort of say, okay, I'll take the showtime for thirty days, and then you just watch everything you possibly possibly can for on showtime for thirty days. Then you got to remember to cancel it before you get charged for for your first paid month. And then what you can do, okay, I'm about to advocate something that may be illegal, <laughs> but but I don't think so. So as you probably know. You know, you can share your logon and password with some number of people, you know, if you have something like this. So let us, let's imagine for a second that you and I were not entirely honest and upright people, Sandy. So I could set up a Showtime uh, password and account and, and, and then I could give you the login and the password. So you could also watch – you could sign in on my, my trial account and watch Showtime. And then when I ran out of Showtime and canceled my Showtime – you could get a showtime, a thirty-day showtime account, and you could give me your logon and password, and that would give us sixty days. Just you know, from the efforts of the two of us, we would have sixty days to watch Showtime. And I can guarantee you, unless you're willing to watch that Brian Cranston thing where he's a judge, you can you can clean out everything you need to see on Showtime in sixty days, easy. So you know, if you want to get crafty and be a gorilla, G U E R, that kind of gorilla. Uh, you know, you can you can beat a little bit of the system, so so consider yeah, that I anyway. I think it needs to be regulated. There there needs to be some kind of regulation, and uh, the way it is now is very anti-consumer. Right, right. I would say that's true, and probably as long as we allow ourselves to be victimized, we will continue to be victimized. So you know, Ann Landers used to say, "Nobody can take advantage of you without your cooperation," and. Yeah. I think Ian Landers, as usual, was right. Okay, we got to take a break. We'll come back. I'll give you a lot of warning about. All right, we are back. 
Uh, and before I take any more calls, I have to uh, thank Cat Pastor is our technical producer. And <laughs> even though I do horrible things to her, like say, all right, we're going to do a break right now uh, and give her absolutely no warning whatsoever. Uh, she manages to forgive me on a daily basis, uh, and she's a great technical producer, and I'm happy to have uh, her in that role. Jonathan McPants, Jonathan McPants uh, is <laughs> is the producer of this episode. Uh, he's in there screening calls and stuff like that. Uh, he has been, I'm not exaggerating, the glue that has held this show together for three or four months while we were completing <laughs> our exhaustive exhaustive search for a senior producer. I don't think anybody's ever spent as much time trying to find a senior producer as we have. But we have one now, Lily Tyson, and she's been making her way east. She was on the West Coast. And pretty soon we'll, we'll have an, an intact team. All right. So um, let's go to – oh, this one's so good. Although I think I'm, I'm going to have a pretty pathetic answer to this question. But let's do Cooper and then we'll do Jim and then we'll see where we are. Well, we'll be in the same place, actually. But unless we can teleport, in which case we might be someplace else. Uh, here's Cooper. You have the floor. Um, hello, uh, Colin. Uh, I'm Cooper. I'm calling from Guilford, Connecticut. And um, so a while back, I was having a pretty idiotic discussion, and it was um, who would win in a battle? It would be humanity from, I'd say, the Renaissance era or the medieval times versus the Angry Birds. And, um, you know, who would win if there was an all-out war between the two? Well, this, I mean, first of all, I have to say, you have a great phone connection. What kind of phone is that? That's You sound like you're in a studio or something. However, that's neither here nor there. Um, so I, I don't really play Angry Birds, but my understanding of Angry Birds, they don't have any technology bigger than a slingshot, right? That's how you get an Angry Bird to go after a green pig. Don't you have to use a slingshot? Yes, but you see, in some of the spinoffs, they go to space. So they have rocket technology, and then another spinoff, they have lightsabers, so well. So which set of ang- which which Angry Birds are we talking about? You know, which were you are we talking about? Uh, as they say about COVID, I like the fact that you know the uh, microbiologists now talk about ancestral COVID. Uh, but anyway, are we talking about ancestral uh, Angry Birds slingshot go after the pigs? In which case, I actually think humanity, you know, as you're saying, kind of at the time of the last duel. Uh, with uh, Matt Damon and 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 what's his name and Ben Affleck and and, and still what's his name? I remember his name? What's his name? Um, his name is Adam Driver. Um, the <laughs> I, I think actually they would do well against the Angry Birds. But if the Angry Birds are going to have all this other stuff, then it's not fair, is it? Mm-hmm, I guess. But we're talking about birds versus humans. But technologically advanced birds could they beat primitive humans? Well, when you put it that way, then I would say – then I would go with the birds. But I feel like you're stacking the deck a little bit by putting it that way. They're technologically yeah. advanced. I mean they're technologically advanced, yeah, in the spinoffs. But for starters, they're basically ammo at the beginning of the game, right? When the game first started, they're ammo. You yeah. know, you're, That's all they are. Um, so, so, so I don't know. You, you get the last word on highly this. Highly trained – you could say they're pretty highly trained guerrilla fighters. Okay. So, so maybe that maybe they wouldn't stand as much of a chance, or maybe they would. It depends on how sentient they are, you know. And I don't think I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I haven't really. I, I've only observed the game. I haven't really played the game. All right. We. I'm not saying we've exhausted this topic, but we may have exhausted this topic. And I'd like to get one more call on before we go. Here's Jim in Hampton. Hi, Jim. Colin, how are you? Just fine. Hey, 
I just want to continue on with Sandy's rant a little bit. Not only are they forcing you to subscribe to all these different platforms, but they're taking each each individual channel is going to a streaming, right? And they're taking their they're taking their best programming off the over air broadcast. Yes, you're right. In other words, you're saying, like, let's say that you like the show Yellowstone with Kevin Costner, which is on the, I think it's was it's a Paramount show, it was on, and some of it I think might have been on the Paramount base channel, but but then they started putting stuff on Paramount Plus, which you know anything that has a plus sign in it basically is a way of increasing revenue for an existing product, right? Yes, but like Discovery Plus now, they, they've bought up all the channels in that one range of, of the cable box. Um, you know, they have Food Channel. They you can't, you can't watch a new episode of Chopped, I don't think, on Food Channel anymore. Bastards! Um, <laughs> no, it's terrible. We, we, are, we are living through the stream apocalypse. There's no question. This is the stream apocalypse. And, and I'll go back to what I said. To, you know, eventually, it's too bad Ralph Nader is kind of getting on in years. And I don't think it would take so long to explain this to Ralph that I don't, I don't think we you could. But we need a Ralph Nader type crusader to do something about this because we're absolutely getting screwed. They're maximizing their profits. I mean, the nice part of it is we're li- li- living through a golden age of content where a lot of stuff can get made and, and shown, you know, because they have ways of paying for it and blah, 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 blah. But I, it's gone too far and it's become a drain. You know, and the only way you can sort of win is you, you can cut the cord, cut the cable at least, as so many people have done, and at least then you're only paying for the streaming stuff plus your go net speed or whatever it is you've got. But anyway, we have to stop there. We have to stop. This has been fun for me anyway, and I hope it's been fascinating. And I um, now, because I cannot teleport down to my car, will stop time and go down to my car and restart time. The number you have reached has been disconnected.